This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. I'm sure by now everyone is already in the uh, Pesach cleaning mode. So maybe this is a, it's a little late to start talking about this. But uh, many people, this is one of my pet peeves about Pesach cleaning, is people turn Pesach cleaning into spring cleaning. And it's not fear and it's not worth it because you do extra work that you don't need to do and you get stressed out and you're not really being Mekayim, the mitzvah of preparing your house for Pesach. So we have to understand what we're really trying to do when we talk about getting our house ready for Pesach is not the equivalent of spring cleaning. Now I know there's a famous Mechab in Shulchan Aruch that people like to use as a Mekar for spring cleaning. Why? The Mechaber writes, it's a Metof Membez Sevav, Nagul Garer Haksalim. It used to be a practice, they used to wash down the walls. Vakitsois and the chairs. So this sounds like spring cleaning. You wash down the windows, you wash down the walls, you wash down the chairs. Why? Says the Shochanach, they have who to rely on. Now, what does it mean they have who to rely on? So Mr. Brew explains what the Mechaber means by that is, don't call all these people doing this crazy, because they have who to rely on. What are they relying on? So if you look at Nisan Karelitz and the Sefer Chochani, he explains, because it used to be that the walls had actual chametz on it. The walls had chametz on it. But he says, but today, your average kitchen, especially if you have adults in your house, there's no chametz on the wall. There's no chametz on, on the, you know, there's no ba'en on the wall of your kitchen. Unless you have a, a food fight with your wife over supper, usually there's no food on the walls. So he says, then this minig is not really applicable anymore. So this is what people use as a makar for spring cleaning is really not so. You have to ask yourself, the place I'm cleaning, is there a chance that chametz went there? And if there's no chance or very, very small chance, push off the spring cleaning to springtime, it's too cold to be spring, and do it at a different time. Your goal is to clean your house, to rid your house, to empty your house of any real chametz. So you have to ask yourself, do I have, clo- do I have chametz in a closet somewhere? Very, very not likely that I brought chametz to this room, right? If you have adults, again, I always say if you have children or pets, there's a similarity between those two people, right? They take food everywhere and anywhere, so you have to be chayshish. Just the other day, my son brought a bagel into, into the bathroom. Adults don't do that. So an adult house, the bathroom is not a place that you have to sit there checking for chametz. When you have children, or if you have pets, so you have to be chayshish for these things. But... It should be with a cheshbin. The, the, the checking for preparing the house of B'dikas Chametz shouldn't be overboard craziness. It's looking for Chametz in areas that perhaps you might have brought. Food, and therefore you need to check in those areas. Now, there's another thing that we do before, besides the Pesach cleaning, we sell, most people sell Chametz. So let's talk a little bit about that. I see everyone's waiting to next week to sell the Chametz. It's been very quiet this week. Everyone figures they have a whole week next week, so they're going to sell it next week. Okay, I'm okay with that also. As long as you get it in before Friday morning, I'm fine. Now, what this Mechiros Chametz all about? So the truth is, the, the, the idea that we all sell our Chametz is a relatively new development. About 200, 300 years ago, it was not like that. Mechiros Chametz didn't really exist, and it existed for very, very small groups of people. The Mechiros Chametz back then was only done for those who needed to do it for business purposes. As we know, uh, historically speaking, the last two, three hundred years, the Jews were always in the alcohol business. The reason why they were in the alcohol business was because the government didn't let them do anything else. So they were always in the alcohol business, usually whether they owned a bar or they owned a tavern or they owned like a hotel, or they served drinks, and they usually served drinks to the non-Jews, which never helped for our relationships with Jews because there's nothing worse than a guy, but worse than that is a guy who's drunk and has a bill that he can't pay. 
So that's usually what happened for anti-Semitism was when the Jew was owed all this money and never went over well. So the Jews had a problem. They can't get rid of their schnapps because it's their parnasa. So all the other Jews used to get, empty their freezers. They didn't really have freezers. They'd empty their cupboard before Pesach. There was no mechiros chametz. But the Jews that owned schnapps that were in the alcohol business, this was their panasa. So for that small minority or group of Jews, they were allowed to sell their chametz. They didn't come to the rabbi even. They did it themselves. The rabbi wasn't involved in mechiros chametz. It was only over time where more and more people fell under the banner of, oh, I need to sell my chametz. And more and more people did not know how to sell their chametz where they involved the rabbi to make sure it's done properly. But it used to be a very small procedure. It wasn't like it is today. Today, they urge everyone to sell the chametz. Even those people who don't sell chametz, we tell them, no, you should really sell your chametz. Because you never know. You never know. Maybe you have tucked away somewhere. You don't want to have any issues. But that's where Mechir's chametz used to take place. It was a very serious, you know, legitimate uh, business deal. Now, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch talks about Mechir's chametz. And the Shulchan Aruch sounds like it's a very legitimate option. Shulchan Aruch writes, again, the source of Mechir Chametz comes from a Tesefta and Mesechus Pesachim, tells us a story about people that are on a boat, and they didn't have any way to get rid of the Chametz, and they needed the Chametz after Pesach, so they sold the Chametz to the guy. Some Rishonim, quite a few Rishonim, learn that Mechir Chametz should not take place every year. Mechir Chametz was like a harosha. That year, the, the guy was stuck on a boat, he needed to get rid of his Chametz, he needed to keep the Chametz, so he did this uh, Mechira. But every year to set, schedule a Mechir Chametz, some Rishonim call that a aroma, they don't like it. But if you look in Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't say that. Shulchan Aruch sounds like that every year you can sell your chametz if you want, as long as the sale is done legitimately, as long as the sale is done properly. So we all know in, in, in the firm community there are groups of people, some don't sell chametz gomer, some, sell, some do sell chametz gomer. Everyone has their family tradition of what they do and what they don't do. As, as a rabbi, most rabbanim will sell anything you want them to sell. You want to sell chametz gomer, I'll be more than happy to sell chametz gomer. If you don't want to sell chametz gomer, we don't sell chametz gomer. The one thing we don't sell is we don't sell pots and pans. And the reason why we don't want to sell the pots in the pan is because if we sell the pot in the pan to the guy, you're going to have to tovel it after Pesach. So if you're going to write in your shtar that you're selling the guy all the pots in your kitchen, so after Pesach you have to retovel all the pots in your kitchen. So for this reason we don't sell the pots. Now we don't also, we don't sell the bleus in the pots. Because the absorption in a pot doesn't really have a market value. No one wants that. Even Amazon you can't get that. A bleus in a pot, what's that worth? Yeah. Technically, you could, you, could do, you could do that if you want, right? You could tell you the mechira, right? You could do that. The truth is, there's an in your day, some kufchaf, where he wants to be miyashiv and say that even if you sell your pots for chametz, you still don't have to cash, table them when you get them back. But the mice, we don't sell the pots. We sell not the pots. We don't sell the bleus in the pot. What we do sell is if you have any chametz attached to the pot. Let's say, for example, noodles are very hard. A noodle pot is hard to clean. Those noodles get stuck. So that piece of noodle, that will sell. But we're not going to sell a blea in the pot. Now, we don't sell kidneys, right? We don't sell kidneys in the Mechira, because kidneys, the Ramah Pasul, Shulchan Aruch, there's no Isra to have around on Pesach. You can have all the corn and all the green beans and all the arbis and all the other corn syrup that you want in your house on, on Pesach. We do not sell kidneys. However, they found that the Divri Malkiel, Divri Malkiel was one of the great Rabbanim for about 200 years ago, he, in his star, he put in to sell kidneys, and no one understands why. The Ramah says in Shulchan Aruch, you don't have to sell kidneys. So we don't sell kidneys. We sell chametz, or chametz gamur, or we sell terevis chametz, a mixture of chametz. Those are the two major things that we sell when it comes to selling it. Now, in order for this mechirah to be chal with the guy, it has to be real. And this is why many people frown or are against this mechirah, because it looks like a little bit of a joke. So the way it used to be, 
till about 80, 90 years ago, the way it used to be is you'd come to the rabbi and you'd tell the rabbi where you live, you'd jot down your address, and you'd give him your phone number, and that was the whole thing. The, guy, the rabbi would come to the guy and give the guy a whole list of names and addresses and say, all the chamas in these homes are yours. And that's why I think st- some still do it that way also today. But already a while back, certain rabbanim said, this is very funny. What type of document is that? What type of sale is that? You give a guy, you say, listen, here's a name, here's an address, all the names and places, you own all the chamas in the house. That would, I don't even know if the, how strong that would be in a court of law. It's a very weak type of sale. So we're trying to make this sell real. So what we do is we give this little paper that anyone who sold chametz already knows what it is. And it's a very detailed list. Now many people come to the list, they're like, why is it so detailed? The answer is because we want to make this real. We want to come to the guy and say, listen, I'm giving you this house, the chametz is here, there, over here. And it's more real, it makes it more binding. The truth is this paper is actually legally a document. It was overlooked by, uh, quite a few, by lawyers, and it's a legally binding document from a legal standpoint. So not only is it halakhically, it's legal. Now, the reason why we do this is not so you have to spend extra 10 minutes filling in the boxes. It's because we want this mechir to be as real as possible, so it's not a joke. It's not just a ceremony, which many people think it is. It's a real legitimate sale, and therefore, the guy now owns all of this type of chametz. Now, many people have this notion, you're not allowed to sell open things to the guy. That is absolutely not true. You can sell anything the guy wants to buy. All right, we live in a capitalistic environment. Anything is up for sale except for maybe Belias. The guy wants to buy half a box of Cheerios, let him buy half a box of Cheerios. That's up to him. That has a market value. He wants to buy three quarters of a bag of uh, cookies, he can buy it. So well, you can sell anything you want. The guy's willing to buy it. He's willing to buy it. Belias, he's not willing to buy it. A Beliasha writes in a chuva. No one wants to buy a Belia. What do you do with that? Half a box of Cheerios is breakfast. That's something that you could sell. So don't think you can't sell things that are already open. It's, that's not true. You can sell anything that has a value. In the market world, we'll sell anything. So you have to figure out where all your chametz is. And we put the chametz in a certain designated area. And this way we know where it is. When the guy wants to go through his uh, hundreds of pages of Jewish information, he sees what he has. He knows, I have this, that, and the other. If for whatever reason you forgot to mark a specific place, the mechira is still chal. It was not illegitimate, the sale. So we like to make it as official as possible. There's always the question about how does the guy have access to your house? I told you that I sold this chametz to the guy, and it's a real sale. Now, the guy knocks on your door in the middle of Pesach, you tell him, uh, you're not allowed here, you call the police, you call, you know, you call Shmira, you call somebody, you start yelling and screaming, you might have just ruined the sale. Because what type of sale is that you sell me something and you tell me I have no access to it? I actually have this kasha a little bit with the public school. My wife works in the public school, and she has chametz in the public school. The problem is the public school is locked up for the entire Pesach, they have spring break. So I, saw, I write on the star, and I do this for many people who work in the public school, that they have chametz in their room in this drawer. The guy has absolutely, he can never get to that drawer. He can't, it's impossible. I can't get there, my wife can't get there, no one can get there, it's closed for spring break. So does that make the sale a joke? So I was concerned, I thought this should be a serious issue. I remember a few years ago, I think I called David, David Cohen, he didn't think it was a big deal. I don't know, I thought it was a big deal. If I'm selling you something which you can't get access to, how does that not ruin the whole sale? What type of sale is that? I'm telling you, I have chametz in a certain location, but I'm telling you, you can't get there because it's locked up by a security team. That makes it legitimate. I thought that should illegitimate, illegitimately make it. What? Pick it up two weeks later. Oh, you want something? If I tell you, I tell you something now that you can't get access for another two weeks, you're okay with that? Okay, I guess if he's, I guess if he's okay with it. Huh? I guess we again, if push comes to shove, we probably can get access to these locations, but it's a little bit more difficult. So what happens if someone goes away for Pesach and the guy comes and he says, "I want to go see him." So the Mr. Brewer talks about giving over keys. Most Rabbanim today do not take keys from people because people are not so comfortable giving their key to me or to the guy. And therefore, what do we do? So what we do is, is you leave a phone number. 
This way, if the guy comes looking, I give you my, I, I call you and I say, listen, the guy wants to get into your house, you get me into your house. Now, what happens is, some Rabbanim are makbid to take keys. Most Rabbanim today are, are not so makbid because the Baal are not comfortable. But we have to, you have to leave a number or an access. So if need be, we need to get access into your house. Because again, if not, we're going to devalue this sale and perhaps ruin it for everyone. So again, when you fill out this paper and you're wondering why you check all these boxes, the answer is we're trying to make it as real, as legitimate as possible. This way, we can be mekayim this uh, takana in the most proper way.